The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. And today it is my delight to welcome Dr. Todd Cooperman. He is a physician and president of ConsumerLab.com. I have been a fan of ConsumerLab.com ever since its inception in 1999. ConsumerLab is an independent tester of dietary supplements and more. So Dr. Cooperman, welcome. Melinda, thanks very much for having me on. I want to tell you how much of a great service ConsumerLab.com is. Now, I should just let our listeners know that you have tested more than 3,400 products representing over 450 brands of nearly every type of popular dietary supplement for adults, children, and pets, which we're not going to get into today, but you provide a great service. Now, as a physician, I have to ask, how did you get into this line of work? It wasn't direct. It was indirect. So I actually came out of medical school, went right into the pharmaceutical industry, and got involved in uh, drug development in the biotech area. Um, And after about six years of that, realized that I really wanted to get involved in an area where I could help consumers more quickly than, than you know, like a 10-year time frame developing a biotech drug. And first got interested actually in, in managed care and helping people understand how HMOs compared to one another, and then from there got into uh, the area of dietary supplements, really based on seeing articles in the Boston Globe and some other uh, papers in the late 90s where they had just begun to do some tests on herbal supplements and found terrible results, contamination, products that didn't contain the herbs they claimed, looked around to see if, if anyone was really doing this type of testing in a comprehensive way and found that no one was and the FDA certainly wasn't doing very much other than really fighting fires and when there were problems. So actually I was able to find within the FDA a pharmacognosist, basically a pharmacologist who specializes in natural products testing named uh, William Obermeyer, um, and asked him to join me to start Consumer Lab in 99. And kind of the rest is history. We've, we've been spending all, you know, all our time testing uh, vitamins and supplements and, and related products since then. And I think that consumers have an idea that if a product is sold, it must be safe. And yet the difference between supplements and drugs are are vastly different, night and day, with regard to who's responsible for safety. Is that correct? Yes. The the regulations are very different for a supplement versus a drug. Drugs, you know, need to be registered with the government, approved by the government, you know, safety and efficacy proven, Supplements don't have to be registered, don't have to prove safety or efficacy, and uh, it's really up to the manufacturer to decide how much they want to put in of an ingredient, you know, what combinations they want to put in there. Um, And the FDA is really doing very little in terms of oversight. There are regulations that products need to contain what they claim, um, but the FDA is not checking products unless, you know, someone's dying. So the onus is really on the consumer first to report an ill effect, and then the FDA steps in and does additional testing. Is that right? 
If there's a huge, you know, outpouring of complaints and, and, and injury, that will happen. Otherwise, the FDA is really not doing very much. What they have been doing lately is begun auditing the manufacturing facilities of a sampling, a small sampling of, of manufacturers because of a new law. They came into effect just in the last few years called the GMPs, the Good Manufacturing Practice Requirements. And they're finding a lot of problems of, you know, companies that are really not doing the testing they're supposed to be doing, you know, et cetera. So you're correct that the, the it's, it's a very different situation with the dietary supplements. Well, one of the first products that I think Consumer Lab looked at had to do with glucosamine and chondroitin with regard to joint problems. And it was actually your colleague, Dr. Bill Obermeyer, who I first met back in the late 90s, who explained what Consumer Lab did and how, oh my gosh, some of the products on the market were indeed effective and others didn't contain what they said they would. And I thought, this is a really important service, especially I love independent third-party reviewers. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about you know, how you got started on some of the products. You know, which were the ones that you first looked at and why? Right. Well, I think Glucosamine and chondroitin, that's a great example of where you really need, you know, third-party testing. Most glucosamine products are okay uh, if they're just glucosamine alone. The problem we've found really is with the chondroitin. And the, and the, the issue there is that it, t it turns out there are two types of chondroitin sold, you know, typically coming from, from China. And one doesn't really contain very much chondroitin, but if you use a very nonspecific test that really just looks for sulfur groups, it'll look like it, it has all the chondroitin, you know, that you want. If you do a specific HPLC test, really just for that chondroitin molecule, that's the test that we use, and there <laughs> the ingredient that's sold is much more expensive. So it's really incredible, but companies actually sell these ingredients based on which test the company wants to be using. So if a company wants to spend very little and, and just put junk out there, they can actually legally buy this lower quality chondroitin, sell it, and, and just tell the FDA, this is the test we use. We use this nonspecific test because the FDA doesn't specify what kind of test needs to be done, you know, to, to verify the quality of a product. Hmm. So, yeah, so that that was one of our early ones. Um, things have improved with chondroitin. We're finding... Fewer, many, uh, much smaller percentage of products that are that are problematic with the chondroitin now. The herbal products are also kind of ripe for problems where there can be different types of herbs put in there, no herb really in there. And so we're looking for the key marker compounds depending on the the herb. The other problem with herbals, and this exists also with any mineral supplement, is that you can get contamination from heavy metals such as lead or arsenic, et cetera, particularly lead. So that's a real important issue when you're looking at herbal products as well. Mm -hmm. So I pulled up a report, just to let our listeners know the kinds of evaluation that you do. I pulled up a report for green coffee bean extract supplements because they've been touted on Dr. Oz. You know, his program is widely viewed. And a lot of consumers will follow his advice, and he was touting green coffee bean extract supplements for weight loss. So if a consumer goes to your site, and that's I want to emphasize this website because I want everybody to go there. It's www.consumerlab.com. And if you simply search then on different products, you'll get the reports. 
So the consumer goes to the website and they'll find the product name, they'll find the listed amounts, they'll find overall results and whether or not that product is approved or not. You also look for contaminants and you look for the cost as well for the suggested daily serving on the label. Right. So let's look at the green coffee bean extract because I thought this was interesting. First of all, you found that there were some studies showing that there was significant evidence to support that there is a, a small amount of weight loss associated with these supplements. Is that right? Right. There, there is evidence for that. Small studies, but there is there is some evidence suggesting that. And you know, diet- which is which is unusual for a weight loss supplement. <laughs> it, it really is, and and I should say that you know, dietitians typically are very leery about weight loss supplements. We always say, well, you know, you can do better without the expensive supplements, just by right. you know following diet, good diet and exercise habits. But for this particular product, you found some that were not approved. Why were they not approved? Right. Well, for example, uh, one of the products that we tested uh, had absolutely no. Um, none of the active compound that you'd expect in green coffee bean extract, uh, none. Uh, a second one only had about 14% uh, of the claimed amount. And w- with green coffee bean extract, you're looking for these CGAs uh, and certain levels of these. And so we're looking for those specific compounds here. And, you know, just some, some products just don't have it. In fact, I think the product that had none of them also had no caffeine, which is kind of impossible if you're, you know, extracting something from green coffee beans. So clearly that product, you know, is a bogus product. But there's absolutely no way consumers would, you know, would know this unless they, you know, had an analytical laboratory, you know, you know in their basement. <laughs> now, do you test all supplements for contaminants? We test all supplements that contain minerals or herbal products for for heavy metal contamination. We also test the herbals for... Um, pesticides that shouldn't be in there. If we're looking at, say, a fish oil, we'll look at heavy metals like mercury as well as PCBs Mm -hmm. um, because that's an issue with with fish oil. So it really depends on what type of supplement we're looking at. If it's just, say, say vitamin D, there's really no reason to test it for heavy metals. It just isn't, uh, unless it's a vitamin D, say, calcium supplement, Mm -hmm. in which case we will look for, for heavy metals. And you know, from time to time we will find, you know, these these supplements contaminated. Yeah, I think it's interesting something you said earlier about the the complexities with herbal supplements because in addition to the pesticide residues and other items that might be in there that one might not expect, the issue of harvest time is also important. So not only the, the part of the crop that's being harvested, but also the time of year, and even whether it's harvested during drought or not will influence the the level of the active ingredient. So how do you monitor for that? You know, Do you test supplements? Will you go back and retest at different times of year? How many supplements do you test of, of each brand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Since we're covering so many types of supplements now, we have reports on probably the top 60 different types of supplements, you know, uh, spanning about a 1,000 different products at any given time. So we can't go back and test St. John's Wort, you know, every quarter. We'll, we, we'll look at it every three years. We'll buy a new group of St. John's Wort products, for example. But basically the, the law says that uh, every batch needs to conform to a certain master formula so the every so any batch you know any lot that you buy any product you buy is supposed to to live up to the claims 
So what we do is we focus on a single lot, and we check that lot, and we buy multiple bottles of that lot because you also need multiple samples for all the different tests that we run and all the different laboratories which we use. And if we find a problem, we have to send things out for uh, confirmation from another independent laboratory. So we're focusing in on one lot because no lot should be bad. And uh, we're running it through, you know, the whole battery of tests. So, say, if it's a vitamin D supplement, you know, we're looking to see does it have uh, the correct amount of vitamin D2 or D3? Uh, does the pill break apart properly? There's a disintegration test that we do where pills are supposed to break apart within 30 minutes in solution at basically at body temperature with some agitation. And we find products that don't don't comply with that. You know, we just put out a report, say, on vitamin D, where one of the products not only had about 70% more vitamin D, and this is a popular retailer across the country, um, it also, the pills wouldn't break apart properly. Uh, I think rather than breaking apart in 30 minutes, we let it run to 60 minutes and it still didn't break apart. Mm -hmm. Um, So these are the types of issues we're looking for. Listeners, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Dr. Todd Cooperman. He is a physician and president of ConsumerLab.com the leading provider of independent test results and information to help consumers and healthcare providers identify the best quality health and nutritional products. All right, let's talk a little bit about what happens when a report comes out. If I was a manufacturer, I would be checking ConsumerLab.com all the time, hoping that my product received great remarks. When your report comes out, do you let the manufacturer know in advance, you know, your product is failing or it's, it's contaminated, it's posing a risk, or do you report also to the FDA and let them know? What's the course here? You know, first, we know the FDA subscribes. We don't, we don't you know, send them a special report. They, they get it when everyone else gets it. And we're pretty fast on turning these around. It's only a matter of, uh, you know, a week or two before from the time we've, you know, finalized all our studies to the time that we publish. It's not like we're doing a publishing in a journal and it's going to take a year. In terms of the manufacturers, we do not notify them ahead of time. You know, we go out and buy these products, we test them, and we report them. Originally, we did do that. We, you know, we we, we notified companies, and all we found is that, you know, there was a lot of saber rattling going on. If you publish that, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to do this and that. So that was not very productive. Um, but what we do is we say to manufacturers, if you, you know, have any question or concern about our results. We will provide to you at no cost uh, a full report of our results uh, from all the laboratories that we used. Um, we don't disclose the names of the labs because early on we did that and found that some of these labs were threatened <laughs> um, with a loss of business uh, if they continued to work with us. So um, we do, so we give them the results, um, and we actually keep an unopened sample of that product, and we say to them, if, if, if you really think we did something wrong, we're happy to send this to a third laboratory if you're willing to publish the results. And at that point, you know, hardly any companies continue because they, they they don't want to, uh, to publish anything, you know. So I think in many cases, companies do correct the product. In some cases, they don't. It kind of amazes me. You know, we'll, we'll do a report, you know, say on ginseng and then and find, you know, lead and all kinds of problems with the product. And then we'll test it again two or three years later and find the same problem and two or three years later find the same problem. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the, whoever's selling this product just doesn't care at all or, or the consumers are just not checking and they realize, you know, and 
and they realize that their particular consumers don't care. But in most cases, with the bigger brands, they'll they'll fix things, and the really bigger major brands, they'll pull products right away. Mm-hmm. You know, I was having a discussion with a nurse who oversees clinical trials, and one of the pieces of information that she gives participants is that they cannot take any herbal products because of the variability. And I thought, wow, this is a really big problem. So I'm really glad you're my guest today. I also wanted to talk to you about another report. You know, we talk about supplements that you oversee, herbal and minerals, vitamins. But there's another group of products that you recently reviewed. In fact, you were on the Dr. Oz show about these. And these have to do with energy drinks. Now, years ago, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with a position statement on these recommending that children not consume them under any circumstances. And then your report says that there have been over 13,000 emergency room visits related to energy drinks. What's the Right, that was in a single year. And and I think newer stats came out with even higher numbers. Uh, So that's correct. And, and, And now, you know, deaths have been reported related to specific uh, energy drinks like five-hour energy. And so our um, our focus first was on how much caffeine is in these products because they don't disclose that. I think I think in the near future they may. There's, there's kind of movement afoot now to get them to disclose these amounts. They're very kind of wishy-washy about how much is in there. But we found, I think it was 216 milligrams of caffeine per that small little, uh, you know, five-hour energy bottle, um, which is equivalent to, uh, you know, about the amount of caffeine you'd get from, you know, two two eight eight ounce, you know, strong cups of coffee, and you you know some might say, well, that's not so much. You know, I drink two cups of coffee every day. Yes, but you don't drink it all at once. You know, within about five minutes, where you're getting this huge amount of caffeine all, you know, hitting your system rather than kind of sipping something over time. So I think that's a problem. Plus, people drink these small bottles thinking, oh, you know, it's not a lot, so I'll have two. You know, then you're getting, you know, 430 milligrams of caffeine in, in a short period of time. So I th- I think, you know, that's a real concern. And I so I think if someone drinks one bottle, they'll probably be fine. But, I, you know, you go above that, you can run into problems. And I think these are sold somewhat as kind of uh, with an herbal or kind of a vitamin camouflage, because they talk about, you know, how at least some of the old ads talked about how, it, you know, it's the B vitamins, you know, are helping you have this energy when it's really the caffeine. But they do contain actually very high amounts, as you probably know, of, of certain B vitamins, amounts that, that in themselves, you know, can be dangerous if you drink too many of these bottles. Mm-hmm. And I just want to let our listeners know, you mentioned the small bottle. It's two ounces. And you found the same amount of caffeine in both the two ounce and the five ounce container. So when you say right, that was the five ounce, sorry, that that was the five ounce uh, Monster Energy that 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 you're referring to. So it was, I guess, the two ounce five hour Energy, and the the other one was a Monster Energy. I see. Okay, but they both contained, regardless of the size. You know, you'd think well, a larger bottle would contain more, not necessarily. Yeah, interestingly, we also tested Red Bull, which is a much larger bottle. I think it's even larger than like a Coke can. Um, and that contained less. That contained only, I think, about 85 milligrams. And interestingly, if you look at the, the emergency room reports, there have not been any deaths associated, I believe, with the uh, the Red Bull. But, you know, unless people are mixing it, obviously, you know, with alcohol or whatever. But I, it seems like the more concentrated 
the energy drink, the, the more dangerous. So even with the emergency room visits and the related deaths, these products remain on the market? Right, right. I, I, as I said, I think there's going to be some more disclosure, hopefully, uh, so at least people know what they're getting into. But, yeah, they're certainly still on the market. Which products that you tested were most surprising to you? Uh, recovering, you know, I think 13, 14 years of products. You know, there was a women's multi. It's off the market now, so I'm not going to mention the name, but it had about, I think, 18 micrograms of lead uh, per daily serving, which is a lot of lead. Yeah. Um, in, in the state of California, the, the limit without a warning label, is half a microgram per day. Oh, um, so this wow. had, you know, what, 30, 36 times that amount. Right. Um, a kid, you know, shouldn't be ever like be exposed to more than six micrograms per day uh, of, of lead or, or there can be, you know, toxicity. Right. Um, adults can handle more. You can actually handle up to about 70 micrograms. But lead builds up in your body. You know, it, it, it's stored in your bone. It kind of replaces the calcium mm-hmm. um, and then comes out. When you become osteoporotic, the lead actually leaches back out again. So you just want to avoid lead. And but we find lead so commonly in supplements. And there's certainly, you know, people are certainly taking these products for their health. Mm-hmm. There's no reason they should be exposing themselves to, you know, unnecessarily to lead. Mm-hmm. And especially a supplement for women, where they may be taking it during childbearing years. That's especially frightening. So how was it that that product got off the market? Was it related to the lead contamination? Oh, they were very, they were they were a big company and very responsive. Um, and I don't think you know I really don't think they knew. They took it off. They took it off the market immediately. And then we actually heard from them that they actually implemented a you know a lead testing program at great expense, which I believe actually, because we have not found that problem again mm-hmm. uh, uh, with their products. Yeah. So uh, you know it can happen, and I think the re- reason it happened with that particular women's multivitamin is that it had a an herbal formula kind of blend in it. And I believe my guess is that the the uh, the lead was probably coming from one of the ingredients in this blend, which is why I often caution people, you know, to stay away from anything that has a proprietary blend or proprietary formula, because you don't really know what's what's in there. Anyhow, if if you really think an ingredient is going to help you, you should buy a product that tells you how much of that ingredient is in there, mm-hmm. um, rather than knowing that it's a thousand milligrams of some proprietary blend. You know, you want to know. You know, there's X amount of vitamin C and, you know, Y amount of St. John's wort standardized to, you know, certain uh, phytochemicals. You also provide a service for your readers in that you let us know about drug interactions. And it's not just thinking, well, I'm, I'm taking a drug. Okay, that's got a level of danger. But this mixing of drugs and herbal supplements or mixing of herbals and drugs and vitamins and minerals can be really a quite a thorny situation. Sure, sure. So the drug interactions are very important and we do include that in our reports. And we have an encyclopedia as well on the site where you can actually look up a drug and it'll tell you which supplements it interacts with and vice versa. Yeah, and so we just put out a report on say, St. John's wort and that's one of the ones where there are just so many drug interactions you need to be aware of. Yes. So, yeah, it's a very important part of, uh, you know, of using supplements, the, the, the interactions with drugs and, and even interactions with other supplements. You know, for example, ha- ha- calcium, you know, will, will uh, 
is taken in such a large amount that it will reduce, obviously, your absorption of other minerals. So you right. don't want to take it at the same time as a another mineral supplement. Right. I hate to open up this whole can of worms, but I've got to ask about it. And that has to do with probiotic supplements. Talk about a confusing area for consumers because there are so many brands and options. How does a consumer sort all that out? It is difficult. Uh, we do test the, the probiotics, uh, and we do have a chart uh, in our report showing kind of which probiotics may help with certain conditions because they um, not only you know they they help restore the gut, but uh, the, the flora in the gut, but they you know they have an immune stimulatory effect as well. And the evidence is still emerging. And I and like a lot of supplements, I think the you know the excitement is probably beyond the science. I agree. <laughs> um, but one concern, if you are going to use probiotics, one concern we have is just that you know it have the the, the amount of live or potentially living organisms that they claim. Uh, a few years ago, we did a review of that area and found a lot of products, you know, had had much less uh, organisms than they claimed. Uh, you know, they claimed, say, a billion, and we'd find, you know, a quarter billion. And that, I think, led to a change in the industry where at least the better companies are now, I think they realized that it had to do with the shipping and the storage of these products, um, uh, you know, on their way to get, get to you, the consumer, they were being stored in, in hot warehouses, which were, you know, these things have live live organisms or dormant organisms. If it's exposed to heat or too much moisture, these things will die. So we have, in our last review, we did see some improvement with a number of products in, in that area. But we do have a review, you know, showing what, what we found lately. Mm-hmm. Coconut water. You've reviewed that. And, boy, that's one of the most popular new items on the market right now. What do you think about that? Again, I think that's one that's overhyped. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with coconut water um, mm-hmm. in, in general, and it you know it tastes good and has plenty of potassium. But there were a number of claims being made by these products uh, on the, for these products that were not correct, saying it was a great source of minerals other than potassium, which they're not. And on top of that, we found that uh, some of the leading products actually didn't even live up to the the listed amounts of of these uh, minerals that they claimed, and, and and they were claiming them because you know they were saying that it's a, it's a great form of hyd- you know hydration and et cetera, when they really didn't have what they claimed, and that led to, I think to some soul searching and lawsuits, <laughs> which we're not a part of, you know, but I've read about on the part of some of these companies, which are trying to do a better job now labeling the coconut waters. None of them were unsafe. They just really weren't labeled properly. I guess it goes back to the old adage that we've been saying for many years, which is if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, right? Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, if you you know, you know drink water and have a banana, it's about equivalent to what you're <laughs> going to get from coconut water. Exactly. Well, minus the placebo effect, right? Right. Well, Dr. Cooperman, our time, unfortunately, is up. We, I knew the time would fly with you, and I want to thank you so much again. We've been speaking with Dr. Todd Cooperman. He is a physician and president of ConsumerLab.com, and I want to make sure our listeners know exactly where to go for all of this information we've discussed and much more, and that's www.consumerlab.com. 
www.thepeakshow.com. You'll find product tests, you'll find warnings, you'll find the encyclopedia, news, where to buy, all kinds of tips. So, Dr. Cooperman, thank you so much for being my guest. Yeah, Melinda, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you again, Dr. Cooperman. Thanks, Melinda.